Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. You are listening to episode number 64 of the Awesomers.com podcast series. And we have a tradition. All you have to do is go to Awesomers.com slash 64 to figure out all the show notes and details and see all the things that we put together for each episode. It's really quite a bit of work and quite a bit of effort. So we hope that you get on over there and check that out right now. Uh, Today's episode features Shirley Tan. Now, Shirley is the inventor of the Posture Keeper. She's also the author of Ecom Hell, founder of The Systems Coach, and the original founder of AmericanBridal.com, which was eventually sold to The Knot, which is the number one wedding portal site in the world. She also worked at Yahoo as a director of product and part of the growth team. That's a lot of experience. As an early e-commerce pioneer with more than 20 years of experience as a retail and wholesale and even e-commerce executive, Shirley has consulted with small and mid-sized companies working to optimize their business processes for sustainability, profitability, and saleability. That's the ability to sell you. And once you have all of those abilities, then you have scalability. Shirley helps business clients operate like large companies using proven processes and systems to grow and then prepare them for that eventual exit or sale. Currently, consultancy is on pause while Shirley pursues bringing this new product, her invention, Posture Keeper, to the market. This is a lumbar support system that helps the user improve their posture, reduce back pain, and stops people from leaning forward, which causes all kinds of health issues. We're talking about crowdfunding. We're talking about inventions. We're talking about some exciting stuff today, and I'm thrilled that you're here with me today. I can't wait to get into today's episode, so let's giddy on up right now. Hey, Awesomers, it's me, Steve Simonson, and we're back again on the Awesomers.com podcast. And today, I have a very special guest, Shirley Tan. Shirley, how are you? Hi, Stephen. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. Uh, And uh, as the Awesomers have grown accustomed to, we need to do the math if I got your name right. Did I pronounce everything right? Shirley Tan. (laughs) You know, I've had a couple couple relatively softball pitches uh, come to me, and I'm happy about it because... I've been getting a lot of names wrong, so I'm I'm thrilled that I've got another one in the wind column. Um, Mine's pretty easy. Yeah, luckily for me. Now, I've already read in your bio, and and so the audience already kind of has a top-level view of who you are, but maybe in your own words, you could kind of tell us where you live and what you're doing day-to-day. 
So I live in San Francisco, the beautiful San Francisco in California. And uh, what do I do today, day to day? So right now I'm in the middle of my uh, Kickstarter launch and uh, it's actually a Kickstarter campaign. And uh, we're uh, 14 days to go. We're nearly at just slightly over 38,000. So I'm still excited. I'm still hopeful. I'm still excited. <laughs> but you know, like um, everything's everyday things have to go on, right? And so um, I'm also sitting here and I've been looking forward to our, uh, our podcast interview. Well, good. And I'm uh, congratulating. I, I want to say kudos and congratulations to you because as I recall, you set the number uh, relatively um, small and you were able to achieve your number like in the first couple of days. Is that? Is uh, yes, we were able to. Um, our campaign goal was 10,000. And uh, that's all I really needed to make the, fa you know, to have the factory uh, start production. So uh, I said, OK, that's what the factory said. That's what we'll do. And um and uh, we achieved it in 18 hours, actually. So I was like, wow, that's so exciting. I'm so um, just, you know, grateful that the community responded and people are saying, we, we like this product. You know, that's that's what it tells me. So I love it. That's great stuff. We're going to dive more into the, the concepts of a Kickstarter and yours in particular and and how, you, you know, all the, the pre-work, right? A lot of people think it's like, oh, I'll just put up a photo and a video and click a few buttons and that's my uh, my crowdfunding, but that's not really how it is here. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, I can see the pain in your eyes as yes. I described it so simply. If you guys want to talk about that, just reach out to me. If I talk you out of it, you probably should pay me because of all the grief that I'll save you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's quite right. Yeah, that advice would be well healed. But if you still wanted to do it, there's all these things as well that you should be aware of. And, you know, by no means am I an expert. There's so many people before me. I stand on the shoulder of these giants, right? And I've read a lot, follow instructions, a lot of research, but it's podcasts wow. like this that helps, you know, I, I did a lot of podcast research to listen, like, what am I, what am I jumping into? And so I think, you know, people like you who run these podcasts are so amazing. I don't know how you guys do it. You guys are just amazing <laughs> well that's very kind of you uh yeah i don't know how i do it time-wise uh the the luckily guests like you are doing all the heavy lifting and i know that the audience will want to hear some of the lessons learned so fresh in your mind because you know you know you've already accomplished your, your goal but it's still ongoing as we're speaking today so it's going to be really great uh, we're going to do talk about crowdfunding we're going to talk about your lessons learned and we're going to talk about your origin story but we're going to do that right when we come back after this break and we'll be right back Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Hey, everybody, we're back again. It's Steve Simonson joined by Shirley Tan. And today we are talking a little bit about Shirley's origin story and where she came from. And that's going to be interesting and engaging. And then we're going to branch into her experience with crowdfunding and how that went down and, and some of the lessons learned. I'm sure, is it fair to say, Shirley, there are some painful lessons learned along the way? 
painful uh, lessons. Um, that's what that is, right? <laughs> There's also joy as well, right? When you when you accomplish uh, your uh, goals and and people that came with you along that journey, the friendships that you make, right? So nice. those are good things. All yeah, good. that's true. Well, you know, even in the uh, workout space, they say no pain, no gain. So we should just expect that's part of the journey anyway. I think that applies to a lot of things. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier you're, you're living in San Francisco, but uh, where were you born? Um, actually, I was born in the Philippines. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, that's um, yeah. Tan is a very famous last name, you know, like we're everywhere. <laughs> there's so <laughs> many of us. There's a lot of Shirley Tans. But you Google, there's like, oh, all those Shirley Tans. You won't find me that easily. Well, you're the only Shirley Tan that I know. So. But the only Shirley Tan you know. Yeah. Yes. Now, how about your parents? What What did they do? Uh, um, when my parents were around, uh, my parents were entrepreneurs, you know, very typical of Chinese family that uh, they own their own businesses or they work in their family's businesses, right? So my parents were not, you know, not, unlike many, many uh, entrepreneurs that are from the Philippines. and But I also moved to Guam when I was a child. So my dad being the uh, entrepreneur that he is, he moved his family to Guam, um, the same Guam island that uh, that's always getting threatened by, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, that's the, uh, the North Korea target. The North Korea, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna, you know, I was like, hey, but that's my island. Don't do that. <laughs> that Guam, yeah. So, well, that's, no, now that, you know, obviously going from the Philippines to Guam, which is a U.S. territory, as I recall, yes. Yes. Uh, that's probably a pretty big shift in terms of, you know, lifestyle and just expectations. Maybe the weather's the same, but how was that different, if any, if you remember? Well, as a child, um, this is a funny story because, uh, you know, in the Philippines, it's common to have housekeepers, servants, things like that, right? So you go from that to being the house servant. <laughs> so I'm the girl of the family, typical. My mom was very traditional, so she made me do everything. And she made my brothers do nothing. So so I did everything. I, I became the servant. So there you go. That's, but, I would say, pretty the house typical. cleaning now. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Now, how about the, the siblings? You mentioned a couple brothers? Uh, three brothers. Three brothers. And uh, are they on an entrepreneurial path in any way? Um, my youngest brother is. My, my youngest brother is a, uh, he runs his own uh, computer services and stuff like that. He's a computer nerd. I don't know what he does exactly, but he's very good at it. I like it. Yeah, that's uh, uh, there's always room in the world for more nerds. Uh, well, it's probably, you know, some of your scrappy um, entrepreneurial drive came from all of that work you had to do as a kid, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. When you're exposed and that's your environment, that's really all you know, right? You are a lot our, our own environment. We are a lot of our own environment. So, um, so um for sure. I remember my uncles had watermelons everywhere uh, one, one, a couple of years, you know, so it's just crazy, crazy things that my family and relatives have done over the period of time. Like they were raising watermelons or what? So do you mean? I think my uncle got into this. I, I was a kid, so I don't really remember the details of it. You know how the adults don't tell you anything. But I remember like we we live in a family compound and there was just water. You come home from school one day, it's like watermelons everywhere. It's like an explosion of watermelons, but it's like it's like they harvested and had no place to put it. So they just put it in the family compound. <laughs> it was everywhere. And our compound was not small. There's like four or five houses because 
people also live in clusters, right? So our family all live together. Uncle number one, number two, number three, you know, they all live with grandma, right? So this family compound that would consist of four or five houses, right? Concrete houses and stuff, right? No. So um, that just an explosion of uh, watermelons everywhere. That, that scene in my head is still very, very vivid. And on that day, my aunt gave me five pesos. So I remember that day very, very clearly. I don't know why. <laughs> well, you know, if you're going to find uh, money, you know, five pesos at the time was probably... Uh, well, at that time, nice the conversions was better than 50 to 1. <laughs> yeah, today, Philippine pesos, yeah, around that 50 to 1 mark. Uh, so how about university? Did you go on to a university? Um, I went to University of Guam for a year or so, and then I moved here to finish. So I, that's why I moved to San Francisco. Oh, really? That was the primary reason why I moved off Guam. Okay, so from Guam, you came to San Francisco. Did you go to a university there around the Bay Area? Yeah, then? I went to a business uh, business um, college. So you know, Golden Gate University, it's well known for uh, being just business business classes. Yeah. So I, I chose that in particular because I needed to work during the day and then go to school at night. So that's how it, you know, how it worked out for me. Makes sense. How did you like that experience of the education, you know, working during the day, going to school at night? Um, I don't know. I just, it is what it is kind of thing, right? You know, I didn't think much of it because it's what I had to do. So, um, but it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because, you know, uh, for you, you're like, this is the job that he's done. What's to think about? Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Me, and also, like, When's nap time? You know, it's like you're working all day and uh, schooling all night. When's nap time? And you're like, yeah, yeah, the job needs done. I'm doing it. Right, right. And, you know, I had to pay rent and pay for a car and all of the stuff that you do. Right. So and back then it was probably easier, you know, um, and now that I, I I have kids that are that age now. I'm like, I don't know how they do it if we were not around, you know. So, yeah, so. <laughs> I definitely understand, particularly in the barrier where it's the economics of it are insane. You know, uh, the cost of living down there is very, very extraordinary. 25 cents get you six minutes on the meter. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of like, that's how they raise your uh, your taxes. They raise your uh, your meter meter costs. Yeah, the parking meter. Or now, is that the meter for parking? The meter for parking, the meter yeah. for parking. Yeah. So. I grab uh, about that. That's one of my pet peeves. Well, again, I just I was in San Francisco last week uh, just for a spell. I, I heard. Yeah, I sorry heard. to miss you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, the, just the the amount of economic impact that that uh, Bay Area has had, you can just see it. You know, everything is so uh, wealthy and and uh, you know, just it, it's an extraordinary place, uh, but probably quite challenging for young people to make their way in it. For for sure, for sure. Uh, how about um, out of university? It sounds like you were already working. Um, what would you consider your first proper job? Was it the one you had while you were going to school or one after school or what's your thoughts? Wow, that's actually a good question. Um, proper job. So do we define proper job like working for somebody in a an employee, employer? Yeah, um, kind of whatever you want to define it as, yeah. but that's kind of a typical. Yeah, view. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so first proper job. Probably um, didn't have one. Mm, so, so because when I was working, uh, I fell into this opportunity where I started, I was able to start a business during the day and went to school at night. And I just accidentally, you know, landed into that situation. And so 
So since I started that, I never really went to work for somebody until like I was older, <laughs> a lot older. Like after I sold my company, then I went to work with somebody. So fascinating. Oh, I, I like that. Evolution. The reverse way of how everybody else normally wants to do it, right? And and actually it was interesting because I thought for the longest time, I want to go work for somebody, you know, let them make all the financial risks and all the financial decisions. I'll just sit, sit here and take orders. And I didn't like that either. <laughs> yeah, it turns out, yeah. It, well, yeah, the old uh, saying, grass is greener, uh, pops up regularly, right? Absolutely, when, absolutely. When we're in the, the madness of running our own business, it's like, there's got to be an easier way. And then when we're in the quote unquote easier way, we're like, this is t terrible. I, I don't want to take orders from somebody else or, you know, I don't like not having control or I don't like not having an impact, whatever the case is. Right, right. All, all of these. Why, why don't these people just listen? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure people who've worked for me had the same thing. That guy's an idiot. Why didn't he listen to me? I'm um, sure my employees said the same thing about me. Yeah, no doubt it, it happens. Uh, so so I like it that you were already owning your business and going to university, but you did imply that you, you went to a, a regular job later where you worked for somebody else. Tell us about that real quick. So um, so are you referring to after I sold my business? And yeah, I yeah, you mentioned after you sold, you went to work for somebody. Yeah, so after I sold my business, this is um, uh, in 2009, 2010, I went to work for The Knot. You know, they're the largest uh, wedding portal, right? Oh, the Knot, and, yeah, that's a big one. And, um, and um, I worked for a year, right? And, you know, it's not so much them, uh, you know, I'll... I'll um, it's so much, it's, you know, there is, there's, there's their processes, right? The things, the way that the, the way they need to do things, I understand, but I think it's more like on me where I've worked for myself for so long that you to go from wearing that hat that and all the responsibilities that goes with it and then going to work for somebody, then you go, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Why do we have to ask about this? Why do we have to ask about that? You know, you start going from that hat to that. I always just always did it this way. I was, I got it done in a week. You know, now I got to wait a month, right? You go for things that, you know, it's just difficult when you've been on your own for too long. Yeah, it's, I, I totally understand. Um, uh, not having, you know, kind of worked in a proper job myself, uh, probably since I was in college and was a janitor, there's just, you know, the, the, the concept for me to go sit somewhere and, and have somebody else tell me what to do, it, it just, I, it's a foreign concept to me. It, it would be like speaking a different language uh, that you have no training in, you know, it's just, just a crazy a notion. So it sounds like you share that. And that, that pro, do you think that comes from the entrepreneurial background that you had already put into yourself, but, you know, from your parents and so forth? Um, probably I think so. I think that that definitely has an impact, right? Of, um, you know how some people say, you know, can't teach an old dog do tricks. <laughs> so that could be right. That could be it as well. All right. So, so number one, how dare you call me an old dog? Uh, <laughs> me, I'm talking about myself. <laughs> oh, sure. Sure. No, that was a failed attack. Um, no, listen, I, I totally agree with you. Um, so how about, you know, from then to now, was there a, a particular defining moment that's, that stood out in your mind? They kind of put you on the the path to what you're doing today. So, um, so all these years that um, what I what what I'm working on the product that I'm working on today, um, what has a lot more meaning is is you know it has a lot of meaning to me, right? It's uh, it's because I've all those years of working as an entrepreneur and then going work for somebody and then then I my I change I 
switch roles and then I became a consultant. All these years of sitting and, you know, as you see, as you are doing right now, right, we all sit to do our work. Our, my job is mostly related to this whole computer setup, right? I, I don't do physical labor like other people do physical labor, right? So my work consists of pounding the keyboard and getting things out, getting things done, coordinating projects, all requiring communication, email, writing, all of that. And, um, and that years of just doing that type of behavior and then leaning forward, sitting poorly, sitting badly, sitting with my legs crossed, all of those has impacted my, my health. And, um, and so what happened was I got to the point where I couldn't function, I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand, I couldn't use yoga, yoga, the yoga, the yoga ball, right? And um, and and to the point that my my doctor is basically saying, I think you're done. Okay, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean I'm done? I can't be done, you know. I'm too young to be done, right? One and I'm saying I'm an old dog, and the other I'm saying, oh, but I can't be done, right? So um, and so that's really um really push me to like, I, there has to be a solution. There has to be a way to do this. And you know, I try all the other things in the marketplace, right? A wearable uh, posture correctors, trainer, the yoga ball, uh, the knee ball, the knee chair type where you, your, your mm -hmm. knees are like that. Oh, my knees is killing me. I can't do that either. So I tried a standing desk. I actually have a, you know, I sit and stand sometimes. I have a standing desk right here. So I've tried everything and you know, I can only stand for so long, right? Then my feet hurts, right? Especially at work, if you're at, at least at home, I can be on my, you know, flip-flops or something. But if you're, when I was working at Yahoo, where I was, you know, wearing heels, right? I couldn't stand that long either. You know, that my feet were killing me, right? And ended up standing, I ended up, you know, um, being in a, just like barefooted or something uh, um, at as using a standing desk, so. Yeah, so all of those, I mean, you went through a, a series of, you know, attempts to solve this problem, right? Yes. And yes. they were, it was health, you know, your physical well-being, your comfort was driving towards, you know, how do I solve this? And, and each of these things. So, uh, you know, was there a particular part of that, that that just kind of tipped you over the edge? Maybe it was when the doctor said, you're done. Uh, you know, it's like, hey, we're putting you out to pasture. Uh, well, yes, I kind of, yes, that, that definitely was a... Uh, a uh, impactful moment in my in my life because um and I actually did take time off right I listened to the doctor you know uh, you said earlier I was a good student I am I actually listened this is what the doctor's saying take some time off right but during that time off and definitely the radiating pain it, it you know it eased up right and I could sleep better but because you're always like this all the time right but I was but the other part of it is it, it drove a lot of um um how do you say emotional turmoil within you know like my confidence it's like i feel like i'm not productive i'm not contributing i felt myself my self-worth right i think i don't know about other people but my self-worth is, is very much tied to what i do and um so i felt that well i'm useless now you know sure. <laughs> kind of like that 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 confidence right so that so that's why i felt like i had to go back and mind you steve I was doing all this when I went to, I was doing consulting. I was, when I went to work for Yahoo, I was hiding all of this because who wants to hire me if I was doing all that, right? So I had to hide and put up a good face, you know, to this is, I'm good. I'm good. I, you know, I'll jump on the next train to do whatever you want. Right. So 
I had to hide and keep all of this all internally and not be able to really share it. So this was really the first time I'm actually sharing it publicly. Like, this is what happened to me. This is why I created this product. And this is why this product is so important that I felt I really needed to get it out there. Well, and the product, uh, we'll make sure we get links in the show notes and everything uh, for the awesomers out there to take a look at. But you call the product, as I recall, it's called the Posture Keeper. Is that yes. right? Okay. And so Keep your posture up. Yeah, the, the, the point is Shirley invented something from her experiences, right? And trying to solve the problem. And this is not an uncommon story for inventors and entrepreneurs in general. We have a problem ourselves. It needs solved. We, we research and, and try to apply the existing, you know, quote unquote solutions. And if they don't meet the needs or there's some better way to do it, awesomers out there like Shirley go, I'm just going to do it myself. So take us through that, that next, you know, Clearly, it defined you as like, I've got this problem. I need to solve it for my own health and well-being. How did you get to the point where you're like, okay, I, I, this idea it has merit. I'm going to start trying to make this thing. That seems like a scary proposition for most people. So I sat on this idea um, for a really long time, actually. I created this concept, like I think, you know, early or late 2013, 14, and, but I didn't think that people would want it, right? So I just basically created it for myself. But last year, early last year, where are we now? 2018, early 2017, I actually had a chance to talk to Kevin Harrington, who's one of the original Shark Tank guys, right? And um, my client at that time, Perry Belcher said, Talk to talk to Kevin about this, and then Kevin was right there. And I go, "Hi, Kevin. <laughs> I guess I'm supposed to talk to you about this, right? When you're there, you just kind of like grab the moment." So I thought that was the universe telling me, "Go talk to Kevin and see what he thinks." So Kevin, I showed the Kevin the uh, drawing, and I then I did a video demo for him using the prototype that I had, uh, which was basically a backpack strapped to my chair that I jigged up to make it do what it does. So I, so I showed it to him. He goes, I really like it. He goes, you need to make that. I want one. So, um, and he goes, go file a provisional patent for the idea. Don't talk to anybody else until you do that. And then go to work. When Kevin tells you to go to work, you got to go do it, right? <laughs> or else he'll never talk to me again. So, and that's what really just pushed me to go do it. He showed me some other products. He goes, this is what's wrong with this one. This is what's wrong with this one. This is why I think yours is better. And I basically trusted him. I trusted him in his experience. People are always pitching him all the different products and in gizmos and gadgets. I've, I'm sure he's seen a zillion of things, right? Uh, with all the experience he had with us seen on TV. So that's why I just basically said, if Kevin thinks that there is you know, a passenger for my train for this product, why not? You know, so, so yeah, I'm, that's, an, I'm an accidental inventor, if you, that's what I say. Yeah, that, I like that uh, definition. And again, that's a clear defining moment, right? So you're, um, it said, it sounded like you said you were consulting with Perry Belcher, Perry Belcher. Yeah, he was back. my client. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, but, he, but um, he's part of uh, this, this group called War Room. Uh, you know, you're in part of War Room, right? So, so <laughs> I have been, um, yeah, War Room is a mastermind put on by digital marketers, Perry Belcher, Ryan Dice, uh, Roland Frazier. Roland Frazier. Uh, and these guys, you know, they're, uh, they bring a lot of talent. They bring a lot of people into the room. It's a very fun experience. And it sounds like you were at a War Room meeting. Yes, and yes. Kevin ha also happened to be there. And he, you know, Perry, being the connector that he is, put you guys together. Exactly. 
that got you on the road. So I, I, I like that. That's a very yeah. uh, intriguing story. Um, so as once you got the idea going and, and kind of Kevin helped light a fire under you, was there ever a time you wanted to give up? You know, where it's just like, this is too hard. This is not going well. Was there ever a time you just wanted to walk away and say, well, you know, say la vie? No, no, there wasn't. Um, so this whole, so that whole thing, let's say we were to timestamp that, right? It, I talked to him somewhere in February or war room event at that time. And then it went to, um, it went to the next piece was that he introduced me to his factory guy, right? So that was another sort of like for me, a good sign. And then I really just hit it off with his factory guy. He's been taking me by the hand. Okay, Shirley, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Uh, you know, going back and forth on the drawing. So the thing is, what's different is that I didn't have a design team. So I had to design it myself. Taking what, you know, this prototype and all the things that's wrong with it, how do I make it adaptable for all the different size chairs from a regular chair to a gaming chair? right? Because people are, who are sitting gaming are sitting for hours on end playing games. I should know because I got a 16 and a half year old that does that when I'm not yelling at him when he's done with his homework. But I'm done with my homework, mom, you know? <laughs> so so um, what can I say, right? You know, so, um, so I, I had to design it to make it fit. So we went through different reiteration. So I haven't um, given up yet in terms of that piece. Uh, that's been a fun learning experience. I got a great factory who was working with me. I went to the factory, saw how everything's were being made, making sure it's not one of those factories that are kind of dicey, you know, uh, that sure. makes you kind of like, am I gonna get my delivery? Are they treating their people well? You know, so clean, very clean, very professional. And um, so I was very happy about that. And um, so, yeah, so here we are. And so, um, I feel I I wanted to make sure that that piece of the product was we nail it first before we we bring it to the marketplace, whether I did Kickstarter or Amazon, right? Because if not, I didn't want to have to sit and worry about that piece. But, and I hear a lot of Kickstarter entrepreneurs where they get all the they all they get their Kickstarter piece right, but then the delivery for the product is the part that's questionable. So I was really worried about that myself, you know if I didn't have that piece nailed down. So I wanted to make sure that piece was nailed down completely that the only thing I had to now worry about was the Kickstarter marketing piece. Yeah, that's very smart. I do think that uh, particularly when you have a successful campaign, the, the logistical fulfillment of it is often overlooked and it's not yeah. as hard as people think it is if you know where to look and uh, you know if you know the resources to deploy. Uh, I was helping a another colleague and uh, somebody I'm on their board of advisors, uh, they, I, I don't remember, ended up with thousands and thousands of orders from their, their recent uh, crowdfunding event. And in their case, it was easier to ship uh, most of the orders from China using the e-packet service. Yeah. So, you know, thinking ahead about the logistics, we were able to say, hey, let's find somebody in China who's an expert who can take and ship within a day or two 3,500 orders or whatever the number was using e-packet service to the 55 countries that it covers. This is, it changes the paradigm of, right. you know, is it easy? Do you have to ship it to the U.S. and then break it up and ship it out on a higher price? There's just so many ways to do this. So I'm glad that you were thinking about that from the very beginning. Yeah. Definitely. We're exactly doing it exactly that, that way. Um, worldwide shipments out of China and then um, 
and then the rest of it from the U.S. will ship into the U.S. and distribute to the U.S. Yep, I think that's... My, my product is oversized for the e-packet, so not quite fitting the uh, uh, the measurement, right? E-packet, when you're under X under X size and under X weight, um, it's, a, it's a lot more economical to do it that way. Yeah, exactly right. And I, for your size product, uh, I would definitely do it exactly what you described. You know, worldwide shipments originate from China and then uh, any U.S. would be consolidated, staged here, and then yeah. shipped here. So that's very smart. Now, let's talk a little bit about the marketing that you had to put into a crowdfunding campaign or or even the origination. So once you had the idea and you had the design, what was your next step to decide, you know, between the different crowdfunding platforms? So um, so my research shows that basically there's really only two, right? The, the, the two main ones, Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And with Kickstarter, it's an all or nothing deal, right? And with Indiegogo, you can sort of fund um, um, after a certain amount, you could, they will let you keep whatever you raise um, outside of your goal. So meaning that if you had $10,000 goal in Indiegogo, but you only raise five, they'll still let you keep that. And that way you can make production. So with it, Kickstarter, it's like all or nothing. So I think that's part of the uh, strategy as well. So one advice is set a realistic goal, right? So there is the factory goal where you need to get X numbers to get it done. And then there's the realistic goal of, can you actually do it? Can you actually get there? And then build into the, um, build into the campaign all the fees that you're gonna have to pay, you're gonna have to pay Kickstarter fees. When you add it up, five plus three, that's 8% right there. Then you have agency fees if you're gonna engage any of the agency. And unless you have a really, really strong email list, you know, some people don't wanna pay the agencies, but the agencies are there for a reason. They, they're experienced, they have, they have a list that are, you know, super backers and people who are interested, um, in, in hearing about new products, right? So there's a built-in component of where they have a have a, a, a list, their list is valuable, right? And that's why people engage agencies to, to have them come in on the campaign and broadcast to bring out, to bring in super backers as an example. Yeah, for sure. So there's a couple of things I wanna unpack in there. The first yeah. is um, the, the, the difference between the all or nothing or the partial is a pretty cr critical difference between Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And I want people to pay close attention. You know, Indiegogo.com is a, is a world-class crowdfunding platform. Kickstarter.com also world-class crowdfunding platform. And, but they do operate differently. And I think in some ways, their audience is even a little bit different uh, at various times. So a lot of people I know have run a you know, Kickstarter campaign and then a few months later will run an Indiegogo campaign without really the concern of, you know, if I saturated the crowdfunding market, uh, right. they, they could still do it. Um, how about your, I, I've always found that there's a big international component to these uh, crowdfunding campaigns. How, did that work in your campaign? What was the percentage of international versus U.S.? So I look at that every day, right? So um, definitely, it seems like a third of our campaign is coming internationally, which at first, initially, I didn't want to do that. Um, and part of the reason why I initially I didn't want to do the inter uh, international was because my package is like this big after I squeeze the air out of it, right? Um, it's still this size. So 14 by nine uh, by six and a half. And I was thinking, man, that's going to kill me, right? On the shipping, right? But, and then somebody said, oh, but then you can, you could 
subsidize it. You could charge a little bit for it to make it enough so that the price point makes sense for the buyer. At the same time, it still makes sense for you because you're reaching all these customers that you otherwise would not reach. And how else can you advertise worldwide in a way that's so economical outside of Kickstarter, right? So I was going, okay, that makes sense, right? So, and that's exactly what we did. That's good. So about a third, uh, I've had experience where, you know, between that third, as much as 50 plus percent has come from international. So it's a really intriguing way to reach that international audience. Right, right. I think it's a really, um, it's a, a unique opportunity to reach an international audience, especially if you can get the logistics uh, uh, sussed away. down. Yeah. yeah. And one of the differences, by the way, between Indiegogo.com and Kickstarter.com is that in at least this is how it was, you know, maybe nine or 12 months ago when I was last looking at it. But Indiegogo, you could set different shipping rates by different countries. Um, whereas I think a, a generic, you know, just flat fee makes it a little harder to predict. And, and as you say, you had to subsidize in some way. So hopefully people will investigate what makes the most sense for them. If they need that flexibility of fundraising limits or shipping or whatever, then they should maybe look at the Indiegogo side. Uh, but if they are fine with some of the restrictions that Kickstarter has, uh, then Kickstarter certainly has, I, I would say, just a little more premium of a name. Is that fair to say? I, I think there's pe probably more people on Kickstarter, you know, um, as a as a community. That's what I'm told, um, that um, there are more people, I think, um, over 2 million or something like okay. that. Fair enough. Starter. So I don't know what the number is for Indiegogo, but I heard that it's over 2 million as a community of backers that are active. So the other point you raised uh, earlier was the, this idea of, you know, some people don't want to pay for agencies, but agencies actually can deliver value. And I think that's an important point for the Oscars out there listening. You know, I think too often we're myopic in our perspective. It's like, I want all the money. I want to give no money to anybody else. It's like, great whatever you get is going to be a smaller pie than if you work with experts, you work with domain experts to figure out how to make your most successful campaign possible. And the, the agencies with access to super backers who already have them in the email, they already know how many campaigns they've backed. They know if this type of person will be more or less likely to participate in your campaign, right? Some people are like, I'm only doing games and arts and other people are like, I'm only doing consumer electronics, you know, gadgets, whatever. Right. Well, they have a profile of these things. I, to me, that's a really good thing. Did you end up using a an agency? Yes. Yes. And I did have. you find them to be additive to your, uh, uh, you know, launch? Yes. Okay. Good. So they they delivered value for whatever pound of flesh that they required. Yes. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of agencies work on kind of a a commission basis. They'll take a a, a cut of the action. Yes. And, you know, there's upsides and downsides to that. But, you know, I, I like alignment of interests. Uh, you know, yeah. as long as the margins are there, as long as the economic model of the product launch is still viable, then I, I don't mind taking a look and, and factoring in agencies as you go. So, right. I think you definitely have to do a spreadsheet for that. I did a really hard spreadsheet on like what would the, the different raise amount, building all the expenses, what is, what is, what is, what are you how much are you in for and also how much you are in for the different ways to look at it right so if i allocate out my uh my what let's say uh what uh, what we what you would amortize out so for example would i necessarily plunk in um 
all my uh, patent my patent costs. Now, if I take that out, then then the numbers look a little bit better, right? Now, if I wanted to recover it all in a year, of course, I want to add it all in. But if I take it out, it seems more realistic that you don't amortize, you don't get to write off your whole entire, um, you know, your the patent is is patent, not something your legal costs, right, associated with the launch for this because you get to benefit from that over a period of time and not just for this. It's not like one and done, right? Yeah, that's so, right. So if you allocate those expenses that are one and done truly to the Kickstarter, then it looks, you know, um, then you can really figure out the, the math a little bit better. I do think it's an important point uh, to, to remind the customers out there listening that this is just one one check mark on the journey, one milestone. Yes. This is not like, oh, we did a Kickstarter, we're done and we're going home and that's the end of it. This is just the beginning, right? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, um, our good friend Perry Belcher, right, tells me that, surely you're not supposed to make money on the Kickstarter. I go, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> like it's a way to get your awareness built out there. So, you know, I always keep that in the back of my mind that he's telling me that, right? So, um, um, so that, and that's how I figure out my numbers, like how much I was going to charge for it. How do I price things out? Uh, and then how do I configure all of, you know, how much more to spend, you know, how much how much to agree to give away to the agencies. Yeah, no, I think that's smart. Uh, again, I, I think often, especially when people get excited about an idea or an invention or a, a product launch, they're building their own brand, whatever it is, they really don't do the unit economic math to the level that it needs done. Because they, they just kind of, we, we mentally are all doing this math in our heads, right? And we're saying, well, the product cost... Yeah, I mean, we all do this. I still do it myself, but uh, I won't generally pull the trigger until we, we run the full numbers. But in my head, I may say, oh, well, this costs, you know, $4, but really that's the X works price from the factory. So it's not $4. It's $4 plus the amount to get it to the port and from the port to the next port and from the next port to the warehouse. And then the incoming inbound shipment to the warehouse, whatever the receiving fee may be, then the storage costs that, you know, whatever those warehouses are handling. Uh, plus whatever tariffs, whatever customs duties. Um, sometimes there are things known as countervailing duties, if people haven't heard of that. Sometimes there's anti-dumping duties. Oh, yeah, uh, for the candles and things. All kinds of products yeah. have anti-dumping on them. So without understanding all those economics, and, and by the way, that's just what we would call your landed cost. That's right. right. All things, now you just have the landed cost. Um, some people refer to this as DDP price, which means delivered duty paid. But that's mm. just the origin of what your, your cost is. Then every time you ship it somewhere else, either to a customer or to Amazon or to you know some other staging warehouse, that adds more cost to your product. And so I really want customers out there to understand every touch point. Yeah. Every time that product is fingerprinted, that's a cost. Every time you have to manipulate or otherwise move that inventory, even just counting inventory, there's a cost to it. So all of those things, please don't forget that's part of your basic economic unit model. And then the things that Shirley talked about, agencies, this is marketing related, uh, promotion, giveaways, all of these other yeah. things are the second part of that model. Right. Once you know your cost, then you have to figure out now what's the marketing side of it. And too often, I think people miss that. Is I know that you're a very big systems um, believer. And so is it some of your systems background that helped you get your economic model right to begin with? Um, 
I think I think so. I think it has an impact. I'm a preparer and I'm a worry wart at the same time. So the worry wart makes me more prepared. And that's the reason why I function the way I do. But definitely, I think um, it's the whole process piece that I need to know um, what I'm getting myself into. So as you as to your point, right, I had to build in about 25% into my landed pieces that I, you know, the duty and the uh, tariff and then also the pick and pack, the, the container cost to the to the warehouse and then when they unload it, how much are they gonna charge me? All of those pieces. So I have to build in about 25% to, to that's about right, right, uh, Steve? Yeah, it, it changes based on different products, right? Sometimes the product um, has higher touch or higher weight or higher handling. Right. Uh, but I, I think that's a reasonable number to consider yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and again, that's probably on the more efficient side, right? You know, using um, a container or LCL or FCL yeah. rates, that's reasonable. Um, but I know some products that have 70% anti-dumping, so 25% wouldn't get the job done. Right, right. right. So yeah. that it's, it's one of those things that you just want to know. But I, I like the fact that you worked that through. Um, and also that you have this very, although worry ward is not, uh, the strength that I want you to focus on because uh, there is no worry ward Olympics. Uh, you won't win. <laughs> I know. Uh, I will win, by the way. <laughs> yeah, see, you're, you're ready for the competition. Uh, <laughs> I've been preparing all my life. No, I love it. So uh, when, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the crowdfunding and get uh, some of your predictions about the future. And we're going to do that right after this. Empowering. The name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do. Because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Hey, here we are. We're back again. Steve Simonson, Awesomers.com Podcast. Joined today by Shirley Tan. And we've been talking about crowdfunding. We've been talking a, a little bit about Shirley's origin story. Um, but we're, you know, we've been recently just discussing this idea of unit economics. And, and before the break, I teased this notion that, you know, we, we should figure out now what's next in the crowdfunding campaign. So now that you've got your landed unit economics, you have some, some uh, maybe an agency aligned with you. What did you do next? What I'm so what I'm about to do next? No, no, in in the process because you've already launched. I want to get us oh. from kind of the product um, economics and the marketing to the actual launch day because it seems like there's a lot of steps between that there and so, then. So we did a lot of the um, campaign page. So a lot of a lot of time went into the campaign page, and, and I think that you know the video and the campaign page is the most important thing because that's the front facing, right? That's what. People don't see all the stuff that you did in behind behind the scenes. All the running around with the factory, they don't see any of that. And um, and you could try to tell the story, which I think you know. I think we did a good job in telling the story about how I you know came to to uh, create this product. But the campaign page is critical, critical, critical. The imagery, Kickstarter likes, and I think it's the same probably for Indiegogo. But Kickstarter people. Uh, this community really respond to images. Even if they don't read anything, your your images have to tell the story of what you're trying to convey because you assume that most people will not read half the stuff that you write, right? So so um, uh, so people kind of tease me that um, 
that I have a super long form <laughs> sales letter, right? Which what we in direct marketing calls that, right? And it's a super long form sales letter. But, you know, I think that's okay because that's what people respond to. And the, when I was doing all my research, all the successful campaign pages all had super long pages, lots and lots of pictures, you know, with words sprinkled in between. And I think that tells me that even if people don't read, they should get it. They should get what you're trying to do just in the images alone. Yeah, it's a really good uh, gold nugget there. When first of all, I think that the long form is is very appropriate, and you know, especially with so many people on mobile devices, they don't mind scrolling. That's just part of it. You know, in the old days, we would be like at top of page, bottom of page, and the breakage, and it's like no, they're just going to scroll. Um, and particularly when it comes to crowdfunding campaigns. It is a common thing for people to scroll through and they just they want the highlights that this is the same thing with the idea of, you know, impact marketing, right? You want to have that immediate impact and, and draw their attention. And the more of those images and the more of the stories being told visually, then they might dive into the the research piece and the right. you know, what are the particulars? What are the details? Um, but really, I think your your campaign was well served by that strategy. So did you employ a bunch of uh, outsiders to help you with those graphics? Did you do them yourself? How'd that go? So um, my uh, cousin, who's my business partner in this, uh, she did a lot of the graphics. So we talked about this. We went through all the uh, elements that needs to be. What is this purpose for this image? What is this message for this image? Every single one has a purpose because otherwise you also run the risk of confusing people. Right. And then too much information. It's like they can't make heads or tails, especially if they're not reading. So we did a lot of that work. We actually had to cut out a lot of stuff. That's the hardest piece. Right. You like I just want to throw everything up, you know, but then you have to edit back down and say, have that discipline, say, no, this one doesn't do what it's supposed to do. This one has to be changed. Um, so my cousin did a lot of the graphics. We did get some help from uh, virtual assistants. Um, and then um uh, had another person who takes care of all the emails and uh, he's a contractor um, and he he did all the emails, all the uh, the writing of all the emails, all the messaging. So I have a really good small, small, small team. That's great. Yeah, I definitely uh, appreciate the fact that, you know, you you not just put people around you to help with the process, but that you you had the discipline to cut back when you needed to. That's we, we often are so enamored by our own creations. Hey, we made this graphic. It cost us time and money. And uh, so we want to just put it all out there. Right. right. You know, I, could, I take lessons from this myself. I used to do a lot more blogging in the old days. And, you know, I, I wrote one article. It was like 10,000 words. And, you know, somebody came up. They're like, hey, uh, Shakespeare said brevity is the soul of wit. And uh, it's like, oh, well, that makes me witless because uh, there's no, nothing brevity about this. Uh, uh, and so I, I do want to remind people that, you know, getting the people across the finish line with the, the least amount of material and, and, you know, collateral material, whether that's visual graphics, videos or written content is probably the best idea in general. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't have links to your other stuff somewhere else, but, you know, get your point across, get the job done. Um, so Shirley, once you got to launch, tell us about that first day. Cause it sounds like it was a pretty exciting 18 hours. It, it definitely was. So I, I didn't, you know, set out the goal to like achieve the, uh, the campaign, uh, 
the goals within the first day. I, it never even dawned on me. It didn't hit me till I think it was like five o'clock that afternoon or something like that, where we started seeing the, the movement and people coming in. And I think at five o'clock in the afternoon, we were like 7,000 or something like that. It was five o'clock or six o'clock. I can't really remember. It was all a fuzz. <laughs> but that's when it dawned on me like, oh my God, we could actually do it. So that's when I was kept pushing harder. I was like, who else have I not called? Who else have I not reached out to? Who else have I not emailed? You know, that um, the initial, you know, uh, especially that initial friends and family list, right? That that you have. Uh, who else have I like, who I know is just super busy, but I'm going to make them drop everything <laughs> and go place an order. So, um, so we, um, we have a small list. We emailed it all out. And then there's the follow through, right? Because people do get busy. They they want to help and they want to support you. And you just have to kind of like, you know, nudge them, you know? Yeah. Come, I, come on, come on. <laughs> so I think that obviously was uh, the right uh, concept to consider. And, and it clearly worked. Uh, one of the things that I want to remind uh, folks out there who are considering crowdfunding campaigns, that, you know, the, that initial momentum is really, really critical for you to get any sort of visibility on the, the platforms themselves. Uh, to get into, you know, uh, the the news alerts or, not, they don't call them news alerts, like newsletters or any mentions or to get visibility on the website, it's all based on the velocity of the, you know, how fast you're raising money, what's the conversion rate, uh, all those types of things. And I think your campaign was probably rewarded based on your, your first day being so positive. Is that fair I to think say? That Right, exactly. You're exactly right, Steve. So the uh, the the and the it's just kind of like the Amazon or the Google algorithm. You don't know what it is, but you know that if there's a certain traction that hits, you get you get rewarded somehow. You get uh, above. You know, you stay on the first number twelve. 12 positions in Amazon, right? So I think Kickstarter is very similar as well, where there's different projects. So there's uh, projects we like, there's pro you know, projects we love, there's the trending, uh, there's uh, in, in within each category, like product design, how do you stay up there? So I think um, hitting the number, they always say the first 24 hours, 48 hours is the most critical for Kickstarter because it's the algorithm that kicks in and you're, you're, you don't know how it works, but you know it's something like that related to the the the, the, the activity. I call it the activity. Um, there might be a, a smarter term, but I don't know what else. They say that it's not necessarily just the goals and the money that's coming in, but also the activity. And I think that's why there's a lot of people who do the $1 campaigns. So when I first started, Steve, I didn't think I was going to do I was like, why do I want people to bother with $1, right? So it's like, um, but then I realized somebody was telling me that it has to do with the activity. You give people a reason to support you, even if they don't want or need your product. They just say, hey, that's pretty cool. I'll give it a dollar you know i'll give it ten dollars right so those those campaigns i think you guys can see it i haven't looked at the numbers but there's a number of the one dollar activities that has come in just because it's just a just because you know yeah, the one dollars just because it's it is a it's an interesting and, and even kind of odd phenomena but the, the reality is you know some people uh well first of all some people are like hey i want to show that i'm supporting a bunch of campaigns and it doesn't matter if i put a dollar down or a hundred dollars I've supported all these, you know, various campaigns. So that adds some credibility to their profile. But the the conversion rate of people going there and then making any sort of um, uh, contribution or, or uh, you know, buying one of the perks, that's something that definitely um, has an impact. And uh, as Shirley said, we don't know the exact math, but it's highly talked about that if you can't get 
about 33% of your um, fundraise goal within the first 24 hours, then you can almost forget ever making it into any newsletters, onto any trending, any charts of any kind. At both Indiegogo.com and Kickstarter.com, both of them, you'll just fall off the map if you can't raise at least a third of the money in the first 24 hours. That's that's the general wisdom, not not take it to the bank. This is a published algorithm. Right. That's the general thought. So, uh, you know, again, kudos to you guys hitting a, over 100% on the very first day and then continuing after that. You're almost 400% of your original number at this stage. That's cool. Uh, well, actually, I was just looking at this. There's 93 folks that give us $1. Thank you, 93 people. <laughs> 93. See, and that's what a great vote of confidence. What a great little shout out saying, hey, we like what you're doing here. Um, and we're going to, you know, make our vote with, uh, you know, a buck. So uh, that's really awesome. So Shirley, uh, think about this. Think about the, the future of, you know, Posture Keeper and some of the things you're doing. Is this a product that, you know, in five years is going to be in big boxes? Is going to be going around the world? What's your vision for this thing? Um, I hope so, Steve. You know, I hope that um, that stores will pick it up. I think um, as you and I, as you very well know, right? Uh, you know, being able to be able to distribution is the key thing, a success to all products. That's why people show up on kick uh, on shark tanks, right? Because they're trying to get Lori and Mark and Mr. Wonderful to help them bring their product to the big box because that's where people see it. That's how 90, 90% of people still shop in those stores, right? So having that visibility um, is, I hope that it will bring Posture Keeper to be more available out out there in the mar in the marketplace, but um, in the meantime, we're going to do you know I just did the reverse I just sort of did the reverse thing of which which step first so for sure we're going to continue to stay learning about the Amazon platform you know by listening to um, podcasts like yours and learning uh, how to do how to optimize that business and then you know having our own Shopify store as well to to um, to bring in products that we don't necessarily sell on Amazon, but we want to make available to uh, to our to our, the audience that we're slowly building up as well. So we are going to just do just like what everybody else is, you know, say is best business practice, right? Which is uh, now once I fulfill on all my Kickstarter obligations and promises, then we move on to the Amazon platform and sell in the Shopify store, and we just keep plugging away till till people hear about it. I love it. I yeah, think that's just a, keep plugging a, away. A bright vision indeed. Um, <laughs> we'll put all the links in the show notes to uh, uh, Shirley's, you know, Posture Keeper campaign. Uh, even if the campaign's over by the time you listen to this, you'll still be able to go and see how the way the page was laid out, and you'll see yeah. the, the all, all the history there. That's one of the things I love about Kickstarter. And by the way, those links are very useful downstream. They they actually have good link juice. And uh, Shirley may or may not know this, but uh, <laughs> okay. you can change those links over time, even after the campaign ends. Oh. So sometimes you can add different links in there that, that can uh, be rewarding for you. So a lot of little SEO benefit that people don't often. Oh, that's good about. to know. I didn't know that. Hey, there's a little golden nugget for Shirley. Uh, Shirley, um, I really appreciate having you on. Any final words of wisdom you carry with the awesome community out there? So one Kickstarter tip that I would say is, um, and I had to learn just the hard way. So when you're working on your campaign page, 
Make sure you don't have two people working on it at the same time. Make sure you copy. I like, I personally like working in the campaign page because I like to see how the images are laid out and how it's positioned. Just like your blog page, you, you want to see in, re in real time, right? So what happened to us is my cousin was working in it. I was working on it. Whatever I was working on it, when she saved, it wiped it out. So do not let that happen to you. And this is one of those things that nobody, I've not read this. Nobody's ever talked about it. So we've learned the hard way. So only one person working in the campaign at a time, make sure you close all your tabs because if your tab is open and you forget, you could accidentally wipe out what she's doing or she can accidentally wipe out what you're doing. And always, always, always at the end of the day, copy all of this into your Google Doc page because Google Doc will let you copy images. And if something does get accidentally wiped out, which is not hard to do, I promise you, you could just do one little cursor move and an image will disappear. That's what happened to us a lot. So make sure you copy and backup copy into Google Drive. That way you can at least bring it back and you don't have to reinvent the whole wheel starting all over again, pulling your hair out. I love it. Such sage wisdom. Thank you, Shirley, because that, that's going to save some people some time in the future. I guarantee it. Uh, thank you again for joining us. It's been a great pleasure to have you. Uh, and for the awesomers, uh, listen at home. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals. Congratulations on your success to date. Your creativity, strategic vision, problem solving, and discipline have allowed you to build your own e-commerce business. Wouldn't it be great if you had more time to focus on the things that truly drive the sales and growth of your company? Instead of getting lost in a dozen different services and countless spreadsheets, what if there was one system that connected to your Amazon account and automatically gave you the information that you needed to make great decisions and really impact your business? Parsimony ERP can do that. Parsimony is the business operating system for your marketplace business. With Parsimony, you get true double entry bookkeeping, easy financial statements, full customer service tools, and item by item profitability, along with project and task management, and more features are being added all the time. Learn more at parsimony.com. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com. Parsimony.com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. What an exciting time for Shirley and her partner and their, their whole company and idea, right? Having a crowdfunding campaign, even though it's a lot of work and a lot of pain putting it together, but having it come together and then getting it funded in less than 24 hours to their full initial goal of $10,000. And then, you know, here just a couple weeks later, they're almost four times that initial goal and still climbing. So it's a really fun, exciting time. And I, I think it's a great reminder, not only did Shirley share some wonderful origin story uh, tidbits, which should be both inspiring and instructive, but she shared some of the, the you know, details about how a crowdfunding campaign goes together. And I want everybody to remember that crowdfunding can be a component of any physical product business. So if you're designing something new, inventing something new, but even if it's not necessarily new and crazy and wonderful like Shirley's, not to say hers is crazy, but in other words, it doesn't have to be some breakthrough invention like Shirley's is. You can have just the next iteration of a product, and if there's enough demand for that type of product day to day and you can illustrate the differences, crowdfunding can be an extraordinarily powerful part of your marketing uh, launch product process for a new product. And this includes launching at the same time on Amazon, or maybe you launch Amazon subsequent to a Kickstarter or Indiegogo. 
Uh, there's lots of ways to do it. The point is, this is another marketing tool in the toolbox, and I don't want you guys to forget it, and I thank Shirley for joining us and telling us the way it is for her experience for crowdfunding. Now, again, this has been episode number 64 of the Awesomers.com podcast series. And I want you to not forget that all you have to do is go to Awesomers.com slash 64 to find the links to the show notes and details and some of the things we've talked about in today's episode. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again.